Hello, everybody. It's Hannah Kessler here reporting to you live. Um, actually, I have a pretty cool topic that I wanted to talk about just because this has been a common theme that I see a lot of with new folks who are introduced to this new concept of the infinite banking concept. So uh, hello, if you are new here, uh, we are the Money Multiplier. And what we do here at the Money Multiplier is we teach the infinite banking concept. So uh, before I dive into this, I have to give all the credit to R. Nelson Nash. So Mr. Nelson Nash, he is the gentleman who really brought this concept of infinite banking to the public's eye. So uh, go out there, go do your research, go get his book, Becoming Your Own Banker. I personally, I have the fifth edition of that book and that's what I read and that's what I teach from. So uh, go out there, get that. And you can also learn more about this concept on our website, www.themoneymultiplier.com. And up on the top on the home page you can see resources click on presentation and start there uh, so, so that's who I also have to give credit to is my pops so my daddy and his name is Brent Kessler so I'm second generation to this infinite banking concept. And I think that's why it's so easy for me to reprogram my brain. I mean, since from a very young age, I mean, I was introduced to this concept. You know, dad was pacing back and forth in the kitchen. He was talking to folks on the phone about this and really educating them on how money works here in America and, and what they can do better with their money that truthfully they just didn't even know before because not a lot of people are out there spreading the message of infinite banking or, or even honestly other elite topics that the wealthy are out there doing. And these topics and these things that people are doing with their money, it, it, it's not ridiculous. It's not stupid. It's just that the masses are not doing it. So sometimes when we get into something that's unconventional and the masses aren't doing it, a lot of folks like to close off, right? They think, oh my gosh, what is this? Is this a scam? I've never heard of this before. Why am I the only one hearing about this? But when I bring it to other people, they don't know or they have no idea what it is. And that's okay. That's normal. I mean, heck, for my family, it took my dad two years to start this concept once he learned about it. Because you know what? He didn't trust it either. He actually had to have his colleagues at the time go out, start this concept. And it, it wasn't until they reported back to him saying, hey, Brent, this stuff is the real deal, man. This stuff is legit. Look how I'm recycling my dollars. I'm recapturing all of my interests that would have been going out the door to other people and I'm truly leaving a legacy to my family I, I can't believe more and more people aren't doing that oh my gosh another thing I always hear on the time is I wish I heard about this so long ago so so actually when I go out because let, let's be honest I'm young right 
I'm a part of the millennial generation. And so I want to go out and I want to show my peers that, hey, start doing this. You know, I'm at the age right now where a lot of people are getting their big boy and big girl jobs. And they're, they're the, the corporations that they're with, they're putting all their money into, they're setting them up for a 401k and they're, they're matching their contribution into that 401k. And, and I'm trying to shake them and, and say, hey, man, there's something else that's better out there just spend the time learning about money because honestly I think really what changed too because you know the 2020 pandemic just happened more people are hunkering down on their finances because they realize that when that pandemic happened they had nothing in savings or, or something uh, emergency fund I guess I should say of that they didn't have that to fall back on and they really took a hit in 2020. And I'm glad, I'm glad that we're past that, that economic hard times. Well, we're not really past it. I guess I should say we're, we're opening back up and we're recovering from that hard time. So the topic I really want to talk about today is that we have to start rethinking our thinking. So this is mostly a message for a lot of the more, uh, I shouldn't say older folks, but y'all know what I mean. You're more seasoned and aged and my mature people who are out there who have been living life longer than myself. You know, you guys are programmed into, hey, I go to school, I went to college, I got a good degree, and as soon as I got out of college, I got a good job, and now that I got my good job, I'm paying off my student loans, I'm putting money away into a retirement account so that in the future, I hope that I'll have more money then so that I can live off of it and live a good life because I'm done with my working years. I'm 65 now or I'm 59 and a half, however old I am. And I want to just start living my life because I've done my time. I served my uh, duty to the the society and to this culture. And I want to go and I want to live my life now. So, but if you notice though, and actually go out there and kind of do this research. If you notice I, I just want you to tell me one person that you know, and there might be a few of you, right? I just want you to name me one person that you know that really, that their retirement plan really performed exactly how they wanted it to. Or do you know people who are of retirement age and they're out there working because their retirement plan didn't perform how they wanted it to? And unfortunately, I do know a few of those people who are out there at retirement age working just for survival because they don't have the financial means to pay their bills and to live that life that they want to do. And and it's sad. It's sad. And so that's why it's really strong of my beliefs that we need to go out there and teach people about financial literacy and how money works so that they don't get into that bind when they hit that age later down the road. So it first starts off with by rethinking your thinking. So when you start diving into this concept of the infinite banking concept, it's a lifestyle change. 
So this is not something that you're just going to get into, kind of dabble around with, see how it works. I mean, you can, but this is not for the short term. This is for the long haul. Okay, so this is really how I want you to think about IBC, because trust me, y'all, infinite banking, it's not complex at all. It's honestly not. What we have to do is we just have to unlearn that conventional wisdom that we've been taught and now we got to start doing it a new way, a new, better way that we know that we're in control of. So right now, how I want you to think of your policies as, yes, I know it's a whole life policy, right? And the only reason that it's a whole life policy is is because this is the best platform to practice this concept on. And remember, this is not just that regular old-fashioned whole life insurance that we all know of. This policy is specifically engineered and designed for the high cash value banking function of it. So this is why you need to work with folks who truly understand this concept so they can show you how to use the policy and build it to that design and to that efficiency to meet your needs and to meet your goals. So your policy what it is, is is that this is now the privatized bank of you. Because honestly, y'all, the only difference between the insurance company and your conventional bank that you see down on Main Street on the corner is the name on the front door. They're both places and they're both institutes of where you can store your cash. And so a lot of people get hung up on that. I know you're programmed into thinking that, hey, I'm going to take my money down to the conventional bank because that's where they store all the money, right? Uh, Actually, Nelson talks about this. It's called the Willie Sutton Law. So go look up in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker, and read up on the Willie Sutton Law. But instead of keeping our dollars in that conventional bank, where on top of that, how much are we earning over there? Like 0.025% on our cash on a good day, right? And on top of that, who is in control of that cash? Well, it's the bankers, right? I don't know about you, but when I go and I deposit a very large check, they'll tell me, okay, Hannah, you can have $250 of this today, but you're going to have to wait five more business days for the rest of the check to be deposited. And I'm like, why? It's my money. And then on top of that, have you ever gone down to the bank and wanted to take a withdrawal, a large cash withdrawal from your account? Or I mean, heck, have you even tried to go close out your account at the bank? They give you a really hard time, do they not? And then on top of that, right, loans. If I need money, if I want to go out and go buy a house or go buy a boat and I need that cash, we have to go through and get that approval from the bank to get that money. But do you think it's very funny how sometimes, though, when I don't need a loan, I got plenty of cash. Now the banks are coming to me saying, hey, Hannah, do you want a loan? We got some money for you. But when I really need the money, they're not there. They close up shop and they say, hey, Hannah, you're going to have to go find somewhere else to get that money. It's ridiculous, in my opinion. 
And now to even take it a step further, y'all should really dive into how conventional banks actually work and how they operate off of a principle called fractional reserve banking. It is, it's crazy to me that, that this stuff actually exists because what you're doing is, is that when you leave a dollar inside of your conventional bank, now that bank can lend out your money and they can lend out your money eight, nine, ten times for every dollar that they have on hand. So for instance, if you deposit $1 over there to the bank, they now take your money plus all of the other depositors, right? Because what banks are doing, they're lending out your cash. They're using your money. They're lending out your cash to other people and they're making a good living off of your wealth. So Actually, I could go a little bit step uh, a step further into that, but maybe we'll save that for another podcast. I think I think it's phenomenal. I I, I think it's amazing how the banks can operate off of a, such of a system that just in the hopes that all of the depositors doesn't come to that bank and do what's called a run on the bank and go down there and request all of their money out. Because let me tell you something: if all of the depositors at the same point in time went down to that bank and wanted to to withdraw all of their cash, I promise you that bank would not have all of that cash in-house because what they're doing, they're lending it out to other people. They're lending your money out. So now, let's talk about that again. So the only difference between a insurance company and a conventional bank is just the name on the front door. They're both places of where we can store our wealth. So I told you the attributes of keeping your money in the conventional bank, what everybody's doing, right? It's what the masses are doing. And that's probably why you keep your money in the conventional bank. And on top of that, you know, it's the ease of credit cards, mobile banking, etc. So we'll talk about that. But now, The reason that I keep my wealth inside of my policy or inside of my life insurance company or my privatized bank of Hannah Kessler is is because A, I have a guaranteed 4% growth on my cash inside of that policy. So that's the guaranteed growth rate. And we're not going to talk about dividends in this episode. I just want to talk about guarantees. But just FYI, in a mutually owned life insurance company, the policyholders share in the profits and the dividends of the company. So, so, so your cash can actually get a higher return that year when dividends are paid out. So now I get a guaranteed 4%. On top of that, I'm the one that's in control. So inside of the policy contract, it states that the policy owner has first rights to the cash inside of the policy. So what that means is is that if I want to go down and I want to take that cash out of my policy, the insurance company has to give it to me because me being the policy owner, I have first rights to all of that cash inside of there. Now, let's take it a step further. I just was talking about fractional reserve banking, was I not? So now, I want to talk about how the insurance company practices off of a concept called Austrian economics. 
So I am no expert, but I will tell you one of my mentors of who I look up to, his name is Robert Murphy. Um, so, so Robert Murphy, actually, he has a podcast, he has some blogs out there. So just go look him up uh, that the Robert Murphy show, I believe is what it's called. And um, he, he dives, he, he goes really deep into Austrian economics and how everything functions together. So but high level, though, insurance companies, the reason I trust them and I like them is because of that principle that they practice off of. So what that means is, is that the insurance company, right, in order to guarantee us that that guaranteed 4% and to really make money, right, because what they have to do is they take our premium deposits, right, because we got to put premium deposits into our bank. They take those premiums and they go out there and they invest it but they do different investments so what they do is they'll they'll invest a large of their sum of portfolio into government bonds um they'll do a few of it into home mortgages uh you'll see uh, some of the oh what's that what are they called they're uh the shopping centers the shopping centers the arenas the the baseball stadiums uh real estate so a lot of those are funded by the insurance companies so the insurance company right they got to go out there and they got to get a return on our cash so that they can guarantee us that that four percent growth and then also hopefully they'll get a dividend right um again so i can't promise you a dividend but all the companies that i work with they've been paying dividends for over a hundred plus consecutive years so that even means during the great depression they are paying out dividends and the reason I think they are able to do that and they haven't been able to get into their bind is, is because of the principle of Austrian economics. The insurance company cannot lend out more than what they have on hand. So what I mean by that is, is that every dollar that they have in-house has to protect that one dollar. Because, right, they are, they are in a contractual obligation with the policy owner. The policy owner, they have a death benefit that's associated to that policy. So at the time of that insured body's passing on that contract, the company has to pay out that death benefit to the beneficiary. Oh, and we didn't even talk about that, though. But but taxes, you know, that's another reason. I mean, the, the fact that I like to keep my wealth inside of my policies is because what I do is when I get my dollars in, whether it be active or passive income, instead of taking it down to the conventional bank, I am adding this one extra step into my life. Instead of going to the conventional bank, I'm plugging my cash and I'm putting it into my policy first, my privatized banking system. And actually, I've been using this word a lot. I've been uh, comparing it to like a funnel. That think of think of your policy as like a funnel, and I'm funneling my cash through there first. All right. And now the reason I'm doing this is is because I want to get my money into an environment where I've already paid tax on that cash. So I'm getting it into an environment where it, it, it's in here, it's in here tax-free, 
and it grows for me at an uninterrupted compounding tax-free. My cash inside of my policy grows for me tax-free at an uninterrupted compounding growth. Now, that's a whole topic for another time, but Albert Einstein, he says, compounding interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Those who understand it earn it, and those who don't pay it. So right now, the masses, they're paying that compounding interest. Now that I know this system, and now that I understand exactly what Albert Einstein was saying, I'm just going to mimic and follow exactly that principle. I'm going to get my wealth into an environment growing for me tax-free. Government's completely out of my hair. And now I'm able to really build and recycle and recapture all of that interest and all of my dollars that were going out the door to other people. Now it's I am earning that on myself. It's a pretty powerful concept if you really get down into the nitty gritties of it. But I hope that visual representation of why keeping cash inside of my policy versus inside the conventional bank really helped you because that's where you got to start when you're retraining your mind into how cash flow is really functioning and working. Now though, do I have a bank account? Yes, I have my conventional checking account. And the reason I have that is so that I can use my credit cards and I can go out and do my mobile banking and I have that cash right there on hand. Because let me be honest with you, you got to have a bank account. How the insurance company deposits your loan to you or gives it to you, they'll give it to you in a form of a check or they'll direct deposit it to you. So that cash then has to be, has to go to my conventional checking account. And my father has always taught me to never leave three months of overhead inside a conventional bank. So, so anything that's over three months of overhead, I'm going to warehouse inside of my policies. So that's the principle I follow. You might do something different. Um, oh, another thing that I do is, is that, uh, right, so when you're going through this concept, so this is for more of my advanced listeners who've been doing this, y'all have heard a few podcasts, seen presentations, uh, might actively, right, be doing this. So when I'm using my capital and I'm paying myself back, I normally pay myself back into that segregated checking account that Brent always talks about. The segregated checking account, think of that as like your holding cell. And all this is, is just to keep your funds separate, just to not commingle your funds. And so how you can have a clear, direct path of, all right, this cash is for this, this is for this. And so what I do is I just transfer money from my main checking account and I put it into, I called it the pay myself first checking account. And and I'll pay myself back into that account. Now, I'll keep my money sitting there for a few days because maybe I want to go out and I want to go take that cash and go do an investment or take that cash and go buy something or go on vacation, whatever I want to do with it. So if I'm actively using my money, I'll keep it in that holding cell for no more than like two weeks, to be honest with you. 
So I'll keep it in there if I'm actively using it. If it goes past that two weeks and I have no use for this capital, nothing's coming up here in the very near future, I'll send it back to my policy and I'll have it be stored there within my policy. So we want to show you that money is made in the motion of it. So if you have no use for your capital, heck yeah, send it back to the policy for it to be stored there. But if you want to go out and capitalize and make more cash on your cash, or what I say is uh, put your little green army men to work, you know, don't have just lazy cash sitting around not doing anything for you. Take out your cash from your policy and go put it towards an investment where you can get a high return on your cash. And then when you're starting to collect that interest that comes back or that return on that investment, then you can send it back to your policy. And that's just another strategy of how cash can be used in the flow of it to make more money on your money. Because honestly, I think that's the highest goal of what I'm trying to reach in my life is, is that I'm trying to get all of my cash, all of my green army men out there in the world working for me so that I don't have to work for it. And then I can go out and enjoy my life and do the things that I want to do, right? Go paddleboarding. I want to go sit on the beach at two o'clock in the afternoon until six o'clock p.m. without a care in the world, right? That That's the ultimate goal. And truthfully, in the society that we live in, I think that's the definition of financial freedom. When your passive income rises and exceeds your expenses, that's when you hit that financial freedom and you can go do anything with your leisure time that you please. That's my ultimate goal. So, okay, well, that's what I really wanted to touch on is, is that I, I really wanted to break down and reprogram your brain that we're not just putting dollars into a whole life policy and, and, and from that whole life policy, we're doing this, this, and this. No, I want you to start thinking of your policy. Start doing it today, just even by saying it. This is the privatized bank of me. This is the privatized bank of insert first name here, last name here, <laughs> right? I, I want you to start doing that because honestly, when you say it, it starts to become real and you start to feel it. And I want you to start using that vocabulary when you're talking about this stuff. This is my privatized bank. I don't want you to just say, this is my whole life policy, right? I, I want you to take ownership in it because this is about ownership. This is about regaining that control back from your financial life because the financial institutes have, and our parents and just everybody, they're not out there showing us what's really going on. And I'll leave you with this quote, what Nelson Nash says, if you know what's going on in the financial world, you'll know what to do. Go read up. I'll give you another resource. In his book, he does his uh, airplane example. I don't have his book in front of me, but it's the um, it's the air airplane example. It's the, the creating the tailwind. So uh, it's one of the first chapters that in his book that he talks about and goes through. But if you know the environment and you know whether just to wait a few extra minutes or, or hours longer and, and you're going to get ahead even further just because you waited, wouldn't you want to go that route? So that's all I have today. 
Um, start rethinking your th thinking. Think for yourself and question. I challenge you this week or this weekend, if you're just waking up and you're listening or if you're going to bed, start in the morning and start making those active changes because that one small change that you make every single day can completely change the course of your financial future. I say financial future, but really anything in your life. So, all right, I'm out. I will be back with another episode here very shortly. Um, thanks for listening, y'all. I couldn't be doing this without you. Uh, rate us five stars. If you like what you're hearing, rate us five stars. Leave a comment. Heck, if you want to know more and you have specific questions, reach out to us. Maybe I'll make it into a podcast topic. I'd love to hear what you guys want to hear more about. And I'm very interested and intrigued in what you're doing. So you guys are doing a great job. Thank you to all of my Money Multiplier members. And we'll catch you next time. Bye.